You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at the Athletic Wisconsin, and joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brewhoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? Hearing your voice after Milwaukee Bucks victory. It had been quite some time since we last experienced it, so uh, just just happy to talk, you know? Happy to have basketball back after two whole days <laughs> not having it, and, and nearly... Uh, a week since since a victory it was uh, it was good to see the Milwaukee Bucks get on track with a 117-98 win over the Indiana Pacers we had angry Giannis we had dominating Giannis we had hot Chris Middleton we had Sterling Brown dominating a geography I mean what more could you want from a Thursday night TNT game am I right yeah I mean it was really a, a rough week for Bucks fans you know just not being able to feel the joy of victory and you know, just not being able, you know, having to go through losses. It, it was really rough stuff. Um, but no, that's that's literally where we are with the Bucks uh, this season. They win one seventeen ninety eight over the Indiana Pacers. Uh, as you mentioned, Chris Middleton twenty seven points, four assists, uh, two rebounds, three steals. Giannis twenty nine points, twelve rebounds, five assists. Um, I, I guess. This game, to me, comes down to, as you've already said, angry Giannis. Like, that's that's what this game was. It was, you know, the Bucks being up 67-61, Giannis going up for a dunk, getting hit hard on said dunk, going all the way to the floor, and giving the official a piece of his mind, getting a technical for doing that. Uh, and then uh, after that had occurred... Or I, I guess during while that occurred, the Pacers hit a three, made it 67-64, um, and then the Bucks just kind of said, uh, okay, that's enough. And uh, <laughs> Giannis was the one to do so. On the very next possession, he gets a chance. He throws it down with two hands, pulls himself up on the rim real quick, and uh, yells in the general direction of the official and any Indiana Pacers that, wanted to think about getting in his way the rest of the night. Um, I mentioned at that moment that Yana should feel free to do that the rest of the night because, uh, I mean, the Draymond rule was in effect. They're not going to toss you for, you know, a second technical. That's just not just not how it's going to go. Uh, so, I mean, honestly, what he did after the dunk might have been even worse than Actually, I don't know what he said. So, uh, but you know, it was vocal. It was uh, demonstrative, and from that point forward, everyone just kind of fed off it. Uh, after that, Brooke Lopez takes a three from Lake Michigan, hits it, uh, and then Middleton hits a fadeaway, and very quickly at seven points, seventy four, sixty four, Bucks go up ten, and from there, it was pretty much in cruise control until. Bud decided to take out Giannis, try to save his legs a little bit, uh, takes him out with, uh, I think it was about three, or uh, I think about five minutes left. Uh, the Pacers go on a quick 5-0 run. It's down to 14. And then Giannis comes in with, I think, 338 left, leaves with 223. And by the time uh, he, those 75 seconds, he had dunked the ball three times and uh, also hit a mid-range jumper. And it was pretty much angry Giannis asserting his will. And, uh, you know, the last one that he got came on an alley-oop from Bledsoe, and he reaches back to grab it, throws it down. And, you know, I thought the reverse camera angle from the baseline that just caught his face, that was like, I'm so far above you. Like, I don't need to be out here. 
and Bud brought me back in to make sure that we were done with you. And, you know, you really should have just cut it out. And instead, you decided to make me come back out here and do this. And I'm just going to dominate. So to me, it, that was that was an angry Giannis, uh, Giannis imposing his will type game. Yeah, the just looking at the, the play-by-play, um, Giannis picks up the technical foul uh, at the 549 mark of the third quarter, right after uh, Boyan Bogdanovich hit a three to cut the lead to 67-64. Bogdanovich misses the technical free throw. Ball don't lie. Uh Lopez then on the next possession misses a little like kind of running little floater shot, which he never really misses those shots. Like, I don't know how he's so good at like those random off balance, you know, (laughs) six to 18 foot shots. Um, But maybe it was just the basketball God saying, you know, we like got to give Giannis a chance to get a put back dunk because he goes up between two guys dunks cathartically to make it 69 64 and as you were kind of laying out then lopez hits that three um middleton then hits another shot thereafter then middleton makes a shot with Giannis assist Middleton makes another shot um and then Giannis with another dunk at the 256 mark that made it 80 to 64 so yeah, 13-0 run right after Giannis gets the tech um you know on the on the replay from the kind of overhead angle um you know i i thought Turner got him a bit with uh, on the on the hand kind of arm sort of as as he was finishing, but on the kind of reverse angle, kind of from the overhead, you could see um, Bogdanovich basically trying to you know do the uh, uh, prom photo move, the put your two arms around the, the the person's waist. He kind of tried to like wrap up wrap up Giannis as he was going up, and uh, so take your pick of what should have been called a foul, but in the end, probably uh, worked out okay because in a lot of ways it felt like. There had to be some kind of spark, some kind of uh, fire lit under the box because, um, you know, give credit to the Pacers. I thought they did very well doing Pacer type stuff. Uh, our friend Dean Maniat, uh, I think Dean tweeted something to the effect of, you know, the a lot of teams can defend the Bucks well, defend Giannis well if they just, you know, have athletic guys and they just foul him all the time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, credit to the Pacers as well. I mean, they're they, you know, I I think I. Uh, I described the Suns in the first half on Monday uh, were defending him well because basically they were just handsy as hell and flopping all over the place. Um, and then that's pretty much the recipe, right? You just basically um, hack him sort of on the hands and arms uh, when he shows the ball. And then you just flop around a lot when he attacks and you just basically force the officials to, uh, you know, to make not make calls. And, you know, interesting, I mean, the first first half, you know, he had eight, well, he was eight out of eight from the foul line, uh, which was good for me, given Giannis has been missing a bunch of free throws lately. Um, and then hits his first shot, which ended up being a three, and then had that one dunk uh, on a breakaway. Or not a breakaway, but on a break. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, he only had one basket in uh, in the paint all the first half. So the 13 points on, I think, four shots. But, yeah, I mean, the Pacers were defending as well. They were kind of doing what, what they need to do, kind of, you know, not just outright doubling, but kind of, you know, giving kind of that like very soft guy, you know, I don't even know if I want to call it a soft double, but basically just having a guy kind of lurking close to him. So when he did try to, you know, make moves to get in the paint, you just always had kind of multiple bodies and, um, you know, felt like the Bucks kind of had a chance to take control a little bit. I think it was 51-38. And then they give up a big run to the Pacers to kind of, um, you know, get it within four at halftime and then to even take the lead early in the third. But, um, you know, I think just, very positive to see the Bucks react to that lockdown defensively. Um, you know, basically this was a game where I think I think Indiana ended up shooting 33% on twos, something of that order. Um, they took a lot of mid-range jump shots, which they like to do, and um, you know, shot pretty well from three, 14 out of 37. But um, you know, ultimately the Bucks hit hit threes enough, and you know, we had Giannis and Middleton both both playing very effectively, and um, you know, Giannis kind of finishing it off in that fourth quarter. I think he hit six out of seven in the fourth and it seemed like everybody was getting in the act, giving him uh, nice feeds on pick and rolls and the, the Pacers just had no answer. And so uh, dunk fest for Giannis to kind of finish off this game, which was fun to see. And, um, you know, six turnovers for him. I think that's probably the the best the best indicator of, of what the Pacers did well defensively. Um, but, you know, ultimately 29 on 17 shots, uh, 12 boards, five assists, uh, plus 20. And, uh, you know, kind of felt like the old, more of the old bucks that we're used to. And obviously Middleton playing really well as well. was, was really nice to see after that tough game on, uh, on Monday. So, um, can't ask for 
too much more really 20 point win uh, over a team that has home court in the in the east right now and um nice way to get back on track for the bucks I got to say, um, you know, I, I'm really curious when Giannis or Bud decide to get fined because uh, I, w- I will say I think both Matt Velasquez and I give them every opportunity to do so. Um, you know, if if like, you can always kind of tell the games where they're just simply not shooting enough free throws. And like you said, at this point, the whole league knows the best way to defend Giannis is to be entirely too physical, put two hands on him at all times, and just do everything you can to foul so often that officials don't call it. Like that. That's and you know, like I don't even think this is. Um, I mean, I'm sure some people would call us homers for saying this or whatever, but it's like. It's not like that. Those are just the facts. Like that was the best way to, to cover Shaq was follow him like crazy. Like the Bucks got Joel, like they got Joel Presbilla for six fouls. Like that was his whole thing was like, I'm going to follow this shit out of you all of the time. And you're going to have to call it. And obviously we're, we're looking at different NBAs now, but the fact that we're looking at different NBAs is why this shouldn't be a viable tactic it shouldn't be viable to every time Giannis posts up, put two hands on him. There was uh, the one, it was during, uh, it was during the second half. I can't remember if if it was during like, I think it might've been during the run where uh, that, like where they went 80 to 64. I would have to double check though. But you know, it was a spot where Giannis got the ball on the left block and he was posting up, posting up. And the entire time that young had, his right arm on his right hip and his left arm on his left hip and was just pushing back every time Giannis tried to back him down. And, you know, Giannis did the little like Kobe lean where you like try to take your, your butt away from the guy and just like lean back onto him. And then every single time there was two hands on him. And then eventually they did call a foul. uh, Ironically enough, as Giannis jumped up to pass uh, a skip pass over the top, but it's just like, that's foul. That was a foul five times before you actually called it, and like uh, I, I just think like I'm. It's why I remain curious about when they're going to get fined, and like I, I think it probably is going to have to come in a loss because you know they're at a spot where you know every time this seems to happen, they just you know fight through it uh handle it and then all of a sudden they win by a bunch and then you're not angry enough at the end to be like screw it i'm getting fine tonight because it happens all the time but like this has been that that's just the way to defend them and i don't blame teams for doing it like that's that's what you do when you have someone who you know is as dominant as Giannis and you know who you don't have an ability to guard and someone that attacks the rim as much as he does like I I don't blame them for it but I do remain curious when when the time comes that you know they're really going to take a stand and say like come on like this is ridiculous he he does not get nearly enough calls well and this is the problem with you know using the post to get Giannis a lot of his touches because, you know, as we've talked about a fair bit of the last couple of years, I mean, the, the, the post game is, it's, it's like, you know, a, the law of like conservation of, um, you know, arms and pushing and physicality is uh, you can't really touch people on the perimeter anymore, but you can just push and hack and, you know, uh, arm bar people to hell in, uh, in the post. And so it, it's kind of weird, like with the post game becoming less important, it seems like there's also like a much greater tolerance for letting, especially when we've talked about smaller guys, right? Like smaller guys can just, you know, basically like, you know, give them a pugil stick or something. Oh, if no, if, if you're smaller, it's like you can, you can do whatever, whatever you want. Like get, get grab a steel chair, totally fine. Like start hacking away. Like if you are smaller, like you can do whatever you want. What was, was it hacksaw Jim Duggan? Was that the, the old uh, WWF guy? <laughs> that had a two by four? The big two by four. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, so so that's the downside. And I think today, I mean, when we saw Giannis um, like turning the ball over, it seemed like a lot of it was you know in the post where he was you know kind of struggling to to be able to do the kinds of things that he normally can do. And um, you know, I thought it was nice to see the Bucks being able to. Um, you know, get him the ball in those those pick and rolls. I mean, you know, Chris Middleton, gosh, Middleton's just has such. I mean, it, it it's kind of those things. I I kind of wonder, like, is is Bud going to run more Chris Giannis actions like in the playoffs? It feels like it's it's his go to ATO at this point. Like, it, 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 yeah, every every time they get to the fourth quarter and it's a spot where they're like, shit, we need a basket. I, you you know exactly what it's going to be. The ball is going to be on the left side. It's either going to be a DHO or it's going to be a pick and roll with Middleton handling and Giannis rolling. And it's just like, good luck. <laughs> good, good luck. Because if you don't get over, Middleton's taking the three. If you do get over, Middleton is going to, or Giannis is going to roll really quickly, get underneath you, and he's going to have the ball in the paint. He's going to duck on you. Like, those are your options. Yeah, and I think it was last game was surprising. I forget if it was the Phoenix game or the the Utah game, but there was a, a play they ran. I think it was in the fourth quarter where you thought, "Oh, this is going to be another Giannis dunk," and um, they ended up deflecting the pass and stealing it. Which was like, what? Phoenix. What yeah. that that can happen? Um, but uh, tonight, yeah, I think I think it felt. I think Chris might have had the. I don't know if he had the first one uh, that he sprung did. Giannis for that series of dunks in the fourth quarter, and then it was right out of that timeout. That was like the first. Like they're like, "Shit, we got to go back to Giannis." Went back to Giannis, and it was that play. And Giannis has gotten better at it too. Like he's the best role man in the league, um, but like he's gotten way better at like moving his feet and like catching in different ways where he avoids help defenders. Like he's gotten really good at it. Yeah. He had that. I think it was the last of his, or no, no, not the last of his dunk. I kept thinking it was his last dunk. Cause then he just kept getting more. Um, but that one <laughs> where he caught it and basically like slithered between two defenders and came to a yep. jump stop and, and threw down um, not, not the last one, which was the, the alley from blood. That was with Chris. Um, yeah. But that, that was like a really nice fan. I mean, that was like, not, you know, a lot of his, a lot of time Middleton finds him and it's an easy bucket. That was not an easy bucket that, you know, it was easy for him, but, um, but it required <laughs> a lot of skill. And, you know, I think it's, it's obviously great to see. And, you know, it's it interesting. So uh, I think it was Mike Zavag, Zavagno, I think his name's uh, pronounced. Um, on Twitter posted some, some stats on kind of like, you know, sort of like the synergy play type stats. And, um, I hadn't seen these in a long time, but you know, the number one isolation score in the NBA is drum roll, Chris Middleton, 1.15 points per possession. <laughs> um, you know, for, uh, you know, pro- probably this was a, a nice night for, for Chris, Obviously, scoring really efficiently, efficiently, twenty-seven points on fifteen shots, four out of seven from three, um, four assists, three steals. I think he's Chris's. I think I, I don't know if I mentioned the other day, but he's had like three plus assists like every game this this calendar year or something like that. Um, he was really good, and um, you know, again, as much as you know, he has struggled at times, um, especially with his like two point shot. I mean, his three point shot has actually uh, you know been better this year than last year, even with the the increased volume. Um, but he's been, man, <laughs> I mean, that number speaks for itself. He's been really good as an isolation guy, which people, I think probably you don't think of it because again, he's not like taking guys to the rack out of ISOs. Um, but mm-hmm. he's obviously able to, to get to his spots, to get shots that he can hit. And this year with the fact that he's pulling up for so many more threes out of, you know, basically ISOs, especially when he's got big men on him. Um, that's obviously also, I think contributing to that increased efficiency because, you know, he's not just taking, you know, pull up 19 footers that he's really good at, right. He's now also taking pull up threes that have been I think a few years ago when you wrote like maybe your first, <laughs> we had like our first get Chris Middleton more three pointers discussion, um, you know, like run more plays for him out of threes. And I think the interesting thing is that it's not really like the Bucks are running plays to get threes <laughs> for Chris. It's that he's just saying, okay, you know what? I'm just going to pull up and shoot a three. And, you know, you look at... Yeah, like, they don't they don't run, like, floppy for him. Like, they don't run, like, dribble handoffs for him. Like, there's not elevator screens. Like, there is none of that. It's just like, all right, Chris, go get a three. Yeah, and you look at his... I mean, it's interesting looking at the sort of distribution of his three-point shots. You know, his third year in the NBA, um, he, he hit... Let's see, how many... I don't know, I forget how many threes he's hit, but 
98% of his threes were assisted, okay? Um, and 40% of his threes came from the corners, okay? This year, he's down to 60% assisted, just 10% from the corners. So, you know, I think that underscores, like, the threes that Chris is shooting now are more difficult, and they're from further out because they're not short corner threes as often than he was taking previously. And, you know, you look at kind of what he's doing and, um, you know, I think his, 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 uh, last year in particular, his two point percentage was a lot higher as 52% career high. Um, this year it's down to 463, which is pretty much in line with kind of what it had been the previous two seasons before last year. Um, but his three point percentage, um, 38%, it was 36% last year, again, a little below his career number of 39%. Um, but I think when you factor in again, that degree of difficulty, um, I thought, I think, I mean, he's had a tremendous year shooting through three ball. And especially when you factor in increased volume, increased pull-ups, you know, increased unassisted type threes, um, <laughs> I, you know, these are, these are shots that I was gonna say, ironically enough, he's terrible at the shots that he used to be like one of the best at the league and like he's terrible in mid ranges here. And, and obviously shooting, shooting far, far fewer of those, uh, of those types of shots. I mean, terrible is relative. I mean, it sure. probably depends a little bit which number you're looking at, but 39% this year on long twos, 42%, 10 to 16. Last year, he was almost 55% from 10 to 16 feet, <laughs> 45% on long twos. Um, so again, he's still good, but um, not quite as as elite as, as he was last year. But hey, if those are turning into threes that he's hitting at a higher percentage, awesome. You know, that's that's a good trade-off mm-hmm. to take. So, um, so that's positive. The other stat I found really, and, and uh, Mike also mentioned, so Brogdon doesn't have enough ISOs to count for the league leaderboard, or at least in the numbers he was qu- he was quoting. But Brogdon actually would be second in ISO scoring. He's at like one point one one. So I don't know. Like part of me is almost like, is that sustainable? Like is, you know, is is this is there some flukiness in these numbers um, that you know is bound to come down a little bit? But the flip side, you know, we've seen a number of these guys like Chris and Bledsoe seemingly kind of invert what they normally do, where they've been better at pull-up threes than, than spot-up threes. And so I think there's probably some some give and take here. Um, but I thought the other interesting stat I, that Mike pulled out... I, oh, while, you're, while you're there, um, you know, like thinking about whether or not it's sustainable, uh, ironically enough, when when you think about playoff basketball, like what's the thing like people say, like you have to be able to score in isolation, right? Like yeah, yeah. that's, that's a, a huge deal. And you know, when you think back to last year's playoffs, when Middleton was a human flamethrower, like those were ISO buckets. Yeah. Like the, the uh, like a large part of that was ISO buckets. And again, like he's not going to be a human flamethrower again, but like he, he should, like his shot profile and kind of how he does things would suggest that, you know, he could do it again in the playoffs. And then like with Brogdon, it's like, okay, well, in ISO situations, like, could he do this? Or, you know, like, what's it going to look like? And it's like, well, it in the playoffs, he's not all of a sudden going to get like the other team's best defender. Like he's still going to have probably the worst perimeter defender on the team because you're going to put your best wing defender on Middleton and you're going to put, you know, your quickest defender on, uh, on Bledsoe. So that's, that's, it's going to leave Malcolm Brogdon again. Like, and I think the big thing with him is like, obviously we talk about how often Middleton pulls bigs out or, or pulls whoever out in ISO situations and pulls up for threes. And Brogdon has done that some, like he's not, uh, quite as good on those, I don't believe, um, as he is on catch and shoot looks. But you know, the other like in that situation, like those are all of all of Brogdon's drives, right? Like when you think about the way that he gets to the basket, it's a lot of time in isolation, whether that's on a switch or, or what it may be. Like he he gets guys out there. Maybe sometimes he gets a head start because of the way that they move the ball offensively and they move the players offensively, but like that's how he scores. Like th- those are, uh, those are all technically isolation buckets. So um, I, I don't know if it, if it is sustainable, like obviously things can always come up, but you know, thinking about the way that they play and how that's going to look in the playoffs, like I don't think it's going to look all that much different. Like if, 
if all we have to go off of is the data that we have from this year, like it seems pretty sustainable. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I we're gonna have a new world, right, with with the way this offense functions and the space it provides and um, and all that. And I think on on the topic of Brogdon, um, you know, he scores nine or seven points tonight, which. I was looking at it, looking at his game log. I think that's the third time in the last 44 games that he's been under 10 points. I mean, he's been remarkably consistent. I was, I only really noticed this the other day when I think he scored 24, uh, maybe, and I forget if it was against the Kings or, or, or whatever, but he had a 24 point game or 25 point game and it was like a season high. And I was like, wait a minute, this guy's averaging 16 points per game and he hadn't scored more than like 24, 25 points. I was like shocked. Um, and I think he, then pop to that top that the next game um so it, it's been remarkable i mean he's just so steady game to game and you know i while we're there uh you know how many times chris middleton hasn't scored 10 points in a game this season uh actually i don't i mean maybe not very often at all as well but what do you think what what is it sounds like you know the answer i do because i just looked it up uh two times Wow. Six points against the New York Knicks when he got bent. Or no, that was Christmas Day, excuse me. And then six points against the Phoenix Suns. Wow. Other than that, he's been in double figures every hmm. game this year. He's inconsistent, yeah. though, I've, or so I've heard. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think there is some. I mean, obviously his scoring efficiency has not been as good as Brogdon's, right? Like Chris, I think Chris Knight tonight sure, is going to get more shots. Um, but I think, again, like, you know, every night he's – gonna you know it seems like every night you look at chris's stats and even if he doesn't shoot well you know he's giving you he'll give you seven rebounds and four assists or whatever right and it's just like consistent right and those are mm-hmm. those are things that i don't think you can you know you, you just can't overlook um as as you think about his value to this team um looking at just kind of like yep. other other kind of parts uh, of the game i mean i thought the the turner brooke lopez um duel was interesting um you know brooke Brooke did a really nice job. I thought defensively four four blocks. Um, Turner they they did concede a lot of threes to him. He shoots four out of eleven from three. He also had a number of of mid rangers that they conceded, and you know there was a lot of um, you know uh, mid range jump, jump shooting. Uh, you know I, the old Giannis. Did they win? No. Um, <laughs> sort of sort of aspect to this where uh, you know Bucks walled off the paint pretty effective especially as the game went on i mean 28 paint points for the pacers 14 mid-range points um they just really struggled unless you know they shot threes pretty well 14 out of 37 but otherwise um they just had a really hard time generating offense um 97.7 offensive rating was nice to see the bucks returning to kind of the defensive form we're used to seeing from them um and you know brooke again five out of eight four blocks um you know, I thought that was a, an interesting, com, you know, an interesting kind of battle between the kind of stretch bigs. And, and again, Turner, 22.17 rebounds, three blocks. Obviously, those numbers are impressive, but, you know, eight out of 19, uh, only two free throws. So, uh, you know, other than him, Bogdanovich, 17 points, but on 15 shots. I mean, you know, really nobody kind of really hurt them. There was that there was that brief that brief moment where it seemed like Wes Matthews might start to go on a run or something, but mm-hmm. it didn't really materialize either. And um, you know, again, I thought, uh, you know, again, I, the, the paces are obviously not some kind of offensive juggernaut, but you know, if you don't take care of your business, <laughs> this team's won 42 games. Um, they're, they're good, you know, even without all depot. So, um, I thought they missed a bonus tonight and I think especially you just go up and down the roster. I mean, you kind of just go man for man against the box and it's just like, you know, I don't know. Just look at the pace. It was like, how are these guys going to beat you consistently? Mm. Right. Like they're just, they just don't have enough firepower, especially with Sabonis out. If Sabonis is in, I think that's kind of obviously the one kind of very obvious guy who can hurt you, especially with those second unit teams. Um, but uh, he was out tonight with an ankle injury and um, you know, flip side, the bucks suddenly getting healthy with obviously the, the important guys, you know, seeing Giannis, um, you know, Bledsoe Brogdon, obviously playing, um, but it was also nice to see Dante DiVincenzo uh, back, which I hadn't really even thought about Dante playing <laughs> um, mm-hmm. because he's been out for so long, had the heel injury, and, you know, really obviously he had fallen out of the rotation even before kind of the injury, but it was nice to see him get some get some run and, you know, seemingly look like he kind of fit in quickly. Um, I think really, if, I'd say if the only downsides of, of kind of what we saw tonight, um, I'd say... Uh, you know, Miritich 
his kind of recent struggles continue one out of six from the field tonight. Oh, out of over three from three. Um, he has, he was getting jumpers up, uh, after the game in the arena. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Justin Garcia bucks, uh, pregame host caught that. Yeah. So he had obviously kind of that little hot stretch sort of, you know, um, about a, a week or, or so ago, um, looked really good. And then, you know, has, has kind of struggled over these past three games or so. So again, I mean, we know what Meritich can do. I think it's just a matter of time. He, he's going to get open looks and he'll start to hit them. Um, and then I think the other thing, which is really kind of this, this bigger trend. I mean, I thought Ursan was, was very solid tonight, um, you know, against a team like Utah or sorry, Indiana, like I'm not really particularly worried about them exploiting Ursan. Um, but uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, you know, the free DJ Wilson avatars are starting to crop up uh, in on Bucks Twitter, <laughs> which is, uh, which I'm I'm all for, but is also kind of hilarious, you know, that we're here at the point, you know. What do you think the Venn diagram between those avatars and the Christian Woodlands are? Oh, I hadn't even, I, didn't, I don't even, I don't even know. I mean, because because we we don't talk about Christian Wood anymore. Like that that's done. Like yeah, that, yeah, we're not doing. Yeah, that. I mean, like, DJ. Everyone DJ has stopped. That. Yeah, I mean, DJ's been good, and and Ursan obviously, um, you know, Ursan's been. Ursan's especially been solid lately, right? So obviously, I think yeah. DJ has been versatile enough defensively, especially that you know he's the obvious kind of unique piece on the bench, and he's not playing. So I mean, obviously, there's no room to really worry about Christian Wood um, at this point. And but um, you know, speaking of kind of like pecking order, I mean, you know, DJ wasn't playing even before Pau Gasol shows up, and now Pau Gasol is apparently going to be just part of the rotation, I guess, which. You know, we talked about he, like, I, I assumed that, you know, there was a good chance he expected to play, but just based on the fact that he came here. But, um, yep. yeah, I don't know about this. Um, <laughs> like, I, I have Especially a, since, like, the Bucks did such a nice job using small lineups early in the year. Like, it, it did kind of, you know, in many ways feel like, okay, like, DJ Wilson's playing a bunch and. You know, like the Bucks will like downshift and use like Giannis at center lineups, and it was like, okay, this is very modern, and this is very much like the NBA uh, of today. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, added Miritich, and it was like, okay, well, that could be cool because you could do like Miritich Giannis lineups, and then it's like, well, actually, instead of that it's going to be Ursan Mirtich and Lopez lineups. And it's like, what? Oh, and sometimes we'll throw Giannis into it. It's like, what? Wait, why? Why go that direction? And it, it just seems like the accumulation of bigs has reached a point where Bud feels as though like they all need to get run when, you know, I understand that he's a hall of fame security blanket, but like, to me, Gasol shouldn't be anything more than a Brooke Lopez foul trouble security blanket. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, like on a night like this, I mean, the, the Pacers played with either Turner or Kylo Quinn the entire game. So it's not like the Pacers like went to some like small lineup that was yep. going to run, you know, Brooke or Brooke and or Pow off the court. So I guess you could say charitably, like, giving power run in a game like this just to start to get him acclimated. I guess maybe you could say there's some logic in that, but I think it's just, obviously I think our concern would be, especially given kind of Bud's um, willingness to kind of trot Ursan out against lineups that, that Ursan can't necessarily keep up with from a foot speed perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, are we now going to see Pow against, you know, kind of these athletic kind of quick lineups as well, potentially, um, or or is he going to be hopefully more selective about that? So I don't know. We'll see. I think that's kind of one of those things that, again, I mean, we talked about the rotation concerns around the bigs um, the other day and, and with Pau now in the fold as well. Um, you know, I, I probably feel better about Pau contributing as a, uh, as a locker room guy more so than on-the-court guy wearing a uniform uh, perspective from that, from that perspective. But um, we'll see. Um, you know, they've got, I think Charlotte on Saturday is going to be really interesting because Charlotte has gone small more than probably any team that has played the yep. Bucks, and the Bucks have done some of the, like, 
probably they've probably switched more against the Hornets than any other team. Perhaps like you know, I know Dean has has tracked some of the you know overall switching numbers on the Bucks this year. I'd be curious what the total allocation of that goes to the Hornets versus every other team in the league. So um, I'm going to be very curious to see how they play the Hornets if they try to kind of just do what they've been doing, or you know, do they adapt a little bit and use this as a testing ground for for trying to play you know maybe a bit smaller against a team that will likely also try to play smaller so uh so yeah that'll be an interesting kind of thing to to, i think to watch moving forward especially on saturday and you know as well i think they might also just save Powell. i wouldn't be surprised if Powell maybe doesn't play on saturday because they have to play a back-to-back go to san antonio on sunday and play against the spurs and obviously i would probably bet a lot of money that Powell will see some run (laughs) against the spurs um his former team. Cause that just seems like something that Bud would do. And um, obviously Powell has played, you know, every day the last few seasons in practice against the other guys on the Spurs. Um, so that, that might be, uh, that's my kind of maybe mini prediction. Well, maybe we don't see Powell at all or, or extremely limited on Saturday night, but then we see more of them on Sunday. Um, but I don't know any thoughts on that. Otherwise um, I do want to talk a little bit about Dante DiVincenzo. Whew. Um, Man, you laid out a bunch of stuff before that that I wanted to hit. Um, so Miles Turner shooting a lot—that was something before the game. I asked Nate McMillan about because I mean it's it's obvious that you know I think every pick and pop big in the league goes into a Bucks game salivating because they know that they're going to get a ton of looks and they're going to have. Uh, the greenest of lights uh, going up against the Bucks, And obviously last time the Bucks played the Pacers, they did some like stuff to keep it away from Miles Turner. Like they did some late switches and uh, you know, like they were really running them off the line. And, you know, I mentioned that to Nate McMillan and he was just like very coy. And he, he obviously didn't want to give away exactly what it'd be, but you know, he's like, we are aware of, you know, the different schemes around the league and, you know, we're aware that the Bucks are going to try to take away certain things and allow other things. And, uh, you know, our, our guys know that every, even the best defense in the league can't take away everything. And, you know, there's going to be certain shots that are available and it was just like, okay. Um, so yes, you, you do know that your bigs are going to be wide open, uh, and they're going to have a chance to hit a bunch of above the break threes in pick and pop situations. Um, so it, it was just funny to see the first quarter play out the way that it did with Miles Turner taking all those shots because you know he he kind of tried to play a coy, but you know there is just going to be I think in the playoffs and kind of throughout the rest of the regular season, like any team knows if they have a big that can shoot it pretty well that they're going to try to feed them the ball and just try to go to work against the Bucks defense in that way. And obviously you'll see that in, in the playoffs a lot. So uh, I thought that was interesting. And then, you know, as far as, you know, kind of how they're going to try to dole out these minutes. I mean, I, I don't want to say I'm at a loss at this point, but I'm at least somewhat confused um, because at, like I, I I just don't get Powell um, playing. Like there, there's not uh, there, there's not really a skill there where it's just like oh of course Powell Gasol is in the game because of X. Like on a night to night basis that that just to me doesn't really seem to make any sense or, or really exist in that same way. Um, so I, I don't, I don't see it with Powell. I'm not sure how this is all going to shake out. And, you know, I think there could be some, some thoughts of getting him minutes early, get him acclimated. And uh, the Bucks aren't practicing as much here at the, at the end of the season. So this is, these are kind of the reps that you have to get for him. Um, so like, I sort of get that part, but, you know, I've been kind of trying to think through how this could all work out, and I, I don't know. I'm I'm just sort of confused because I really thought Mirtich was going to take uh, a lion's share of those minutes. You'll see Ilya Silva kind of bump down and Gasol bump down, and um, or I shouldn't say Gasol bump down, just Gasol not really even be a part of it, and uh, that hasn't happened. So I, I don't really know how the bigs play out, but we can move on to Dante. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dante... Uh 
flashback to game one against Charlotte. He's the first guy off the bench, uh, the the teacher's pet, as I called him. Um, you know, I think we were both skeptical that he would earn <laughs> consistent rotation minutes all year, but um, he certainly had a chance. I think we saw flashes from him, um, especially early in the season and preseason of um, the interesting things that he is capable of doing. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that he was not capable of doing was hitting jump shots with any consistency, uh, which obviously is a problem. Uh, unfortunately, Pat Connaughton has sort of carried blame on that. <laughs> I was just going to um, say, unless Pat Connaughton is playing in front of you, then it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, Connaughton, uh, again, playing, getting getting minutes again tonight with uh, some of the you know injuries that the Bucks have had with with Hill and, and Sterling Brown um, uh, at the in the backcourt and on the wing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of, I was, Dante was kind of out of sight, out of mind for me. So to see him pop up, um, I guess in the well, second quarter, right. He got Giannis that, um, that fast break dunk for his first two point field goal of the game, which was nice to see. So good for the Rook to be always looking for his MVP, uh, in transition. And then really didn't see him again and, or notice him at least until then, uh, kind of late in the game in, in garbage time. Um, it was funny. There was, uh, uh, I think, I think Bledsoe took a shot missed it, got his own rebound, dribbled it out, and kind of Dante was, um, I think Bledsoe was in the corner, and Dante was on the wing, and Dante was like ready to take it and shoot it, and Bledsoe kind of like gave him like the wait, wait, be patient, calm down kind of motion Ooh. with his hand, and then like three passes later, it ends up with Dante with an open three after some ball movement. <laughs> he can that, um, that was fun to see. He had another two-point jumper shortly thereafter, um, had a um, signature, you know, Dante slash Pat Connaughton, um, you know, massive hang time uh, offensive rebound play at, at one point as well. So it seems like he can still jump, which is good. Although I tweeted about this after the game. I thought it was interesting. I mean, we only saw him take, I think, like three three jump shots or so. But um, it was interesting. It seems like he was jumping demonstrably less on his uh, on his jumpers. Like it just seems like it was, it was a little bit more of a set shot. Um, did not seem like he was like, you know, it seems like he normally is a guy who gets really high um on his uh on his jumper um which again can be useful but can also introduce maybe more um inconsistency into your jumper if you're you know always kind of pogo sticking when you shoot um unless you're ray allen that you know most great shooters don't really do that um but uh yeah i don't know it's kind of interesting that's my that's my really you know deep but deep cut uh, observation of the game is that Dante DiVincenzo was jumping less on his jumpers and actually made a couple, which, uh, you know, I mean, if he, if he can actually knock down some open jump shots, given kind of some of the other things that, that we've seen him do, whether it's, you know, being a dogged defender or, you know, kind of making plays with rebounds and even blocks or, um, you know, having good sense in terms of passing and cutting, um, who knows? I mean, uh, the way this Bucks season is going, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Dante DiVincenzo suddenly kind of found a way to, to sneak back into the rotation late in the season, especially with, you know, Sterling Brown hurt and Connaughton being a question mark. Um, but uh, it was a pleasant surprise to see him kind of back out there. And uh, again, I'm not going to count on anything from Dante uh, kind of for the rest of the season, but obviously, you know, he's a guy that, you know, in the next couple of years, you're probably going to need to to develop into a really solid player and, the more we can see of that this year, the better. Um, I would say four jump shots is a little bit early for me to <laughs> declare uh, any sort of change to uh, DiVincenzo's motion, uh, especially coming off, uh, you know, some heel burstitis that might limit his jumping. Uh, but it didn't appear that way when we went up for that insane offensive rebound that if he somehow would have dunked, I'd, don't know if I would be doing this podcast because I would have flipped out of my chair uh, as it occurred because that would have been just bananas. But what I will say is, you know, I, I did a Q&A with Dante earlier this year. Um, and, you know, one of the things that he said is that their their big goal with him was to make his jump shot more consistent, was to make it uh, more repeatable and was to, you know, get into a spot where he wasn't feeling like he uh, was speeding up his mechanics in game. And, you know, the the idea of going to more of a set shot, jumping less, like all of that can make a jumper more repeatable. Like that, that can simplify things and keep you from, uh, you know, having 
large like kind of variations and you know like a a large degree of uh possible like, like a lot of things that could go wrong like if you're jumping higher you're, you're trying to figure out when you want to uh let the ball go like there's just a, a bunch of things that you can screw up if you are jumping that high while you know if you jump the same amount every time and it's quicker like there's fewer things to screw up and you know I, th- I think it, it, it's at least an interesting thought. Like, uh, as I said, four, four jumpers is not enough for me, but it is definitely something to think about because that was something he said the, the organization and uh, the staff was prioritizing was getting his jumper more repeatable and doing those two things that you said, you know, making more of a set shot, jumping less would be two things that you could do to make it more repeatable. Yeah. So I think that's one of the, uh, you know, random things to watch here. Uh, if Dante can nab himself some more minutes. The other thing we have to mention, um, Tony Snell, always the quiet one, <laughs> uh, doesn't have uh, an iPhone, doesn't have uh, iMessage. So I, I, what was it? Or at least he didn't. It was a couple of years ago. People gave him crap because, you know, when you when you have a, 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 a text conversations with a bunch of people, green instead of blue, and there's one person who doesn't have an iPhone, then the yeah. whole the whole conversation turns green. By the way, Eric Name used to be a green bubble person. Thankfully, he's now a, a blue bubble I, a iPhone person. So, um, if if any of you. Uh, are fortunate enough to, to work your way into to Eric's text. Um, you'll appreciate <laughs> that. But, uh, but Tony Snell, um, four out of seven, nine points, um, you know, doing Tony Snell things, which means kind of quietly being a contributor, but then giving you, what did, what do you call it? The Tony Snell did what play? Yes, the, the Tony Snell did what update of the night. Uh, and I mean, that double cross was just bananas. Bogdanovich had to put both hands on the ground to keep from falling over. Um, I think Giannis had to put two hands on the ground to keep from falling over after watching it. Um, I mean, that that's, I think that might be the non in the non Giannis category. Um, that might be the highlight of the season like, to straight up drop him. And then actually, actually paid it off. Like he finished off the layup, and it was it was unbelievable. I it, yeah, I don't really even have words for it. Like one, I didn't think Tony had a crossover in him like that, and to turn it into a double cross and then finish it. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, ironically, uh, I don't know how many times this season the highlight of the night has been not a Giannis play, um, but is there anything we missed? Um, I don't think so. Uh, there, yeah, there was, apparently Chris Webber said Pfizer Forum was quiet. Yeah, I don't, he, he repeatedly referenced how quiet it was, in the, especially in the first half. Um, so one, I will say this. Uh, in in Pfizer form, the press area is like uh, like a press box, and it's one of the few arenas that no matter where you sit, you're not in like the bowl. If this makes any sense, like you're you're pushed back, so there's like a ceiling above you uh, in, in Pfizer form in the press area. So like, I have a really bad feel for when it's loud or not loud because like it's more like. Um, more like the press box at like a, a baseball stadium than it is at a basketball arena where like you're typically out there and you are in open air like above you uh, and like you can like kind of get the whole vibe. So I, I just generally have like a really bad feel uh, for that arena. So I typically can't really comment on it. But I will say this. The first thing is I think the nights I hear most from fans that it's quiet are the nights that someone tells them it's quiet. Like I, I do think there, there's a certain level of confirmation bias to like just that idea. And then the second thing I will say is I heard that it was kind of quiet tonight from someone that was in the bowl. Um, someone that I trust that goes to a ton of games and they said it was kind of quiet. And uh, you know, I think this kind of goes to, to one of my theories, Frank, one of my many theories is 
you know, like it, you you got to have a close game and, you know, you got to have some exciting play. And ultimately, like, I think it, it got loud on the technical and the ensuing dunks. And then the rest of the way, the Bucks were up by double digits. And I, I'm trying to think, there, there was a playoff game the other year where the Bucks won by a bunch and you're like, yeah, it was kind of quiet. And I said, like, well, you know, you, you got to have some skin in the game. Like, you got to you gotta be thinking, like, hey, this cheer I'm doing, this scream is really going to help out the team rather than, like, oh, they got this. So um, I will say I, it, it could have been quiet tonight. Obviously, I heard from someone that I trust that it was kind of quiet. Um, so that's, that's disappointing, I think, anytime you're on national TV. But, you know, uh, Thursday night game against the Pacers. Am I all that mad at people? Not really. If it was like the Sixers, Celtics, or Raptors, then it'd be like, why was it quiet? But against the Pacers, meh. Yeah, I mean, I think the third quarter, like early third quarters, have been sort of the signature um, quiet time in the BC, or sorry, the, at Pfizer Forum, just because uh, people tend to explore the arena since it's all new and everything. And so people kind of get yeah. back from halftime late. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, on TV, like it certainly seemed quiet early in the early going. And I don't know, I mean, part of it may just be because <laughs> we just sort of expect them to win at this point. And, you know, they were kind of just, I don't know, there wasn't, you know, we didn't have any Giannis dunks or until like kind of mid to late in the second quarter. You know, there wasn't necessarily like a, a big run of great plays or, you know, great defensive energy to sort of get the crowd really into it. Um but I think, you know, obviously as the game went on, that, that kind of changed, and, and Giannis was obviously the catalyst for that. And By the way, the, the other play that, that we needed, the, probably the, the only other sequence that could maybe compare it to the Tony Sell sequence, um, I think it was around the f- maybe four-minute mark of the fourth quarter, uh, Giannis drives, spins back to his, uh, well, when he's, sp- he's spinning to his left, basically, but he's going to his right, if that makes sense. Um, spins, one-handed yam, um, you know, signature Giannis unassisted dunk type play. And on the other end, uh, Miles Turner drives to his right. looks like he has an angle to, to throw <laughs> down a big one handed yam and Giannis, um, you know, just runs. And I mean, it was an interesting block because he ran and jumped off of one foot to basically leap up, um, on the go and, and just swat. I mean, it was a, you know, at the just apex type type block. I mean, you know, <laughs> that is a that is an impressive block as, as impressive as you know maybe not the most impressive block you'll see this season but i mean that is an impressive block against a guy who knows something about impressive blocks in, in turner so i thought that was kind of the you know summation of the fourth quarter summation of the second half for Giannis to you know dish it out on one end and then a few seconds later um swat turner out of bounds um that was that was just impressive by the way at some point, I want somebody to put together a Brooke Lopez block highlight reel for the season. Um, I think I'm just thinking like like some recent ones. I loved the uh, the block he had on Rudy Gobert where he just like stood him up and Gobert almost fell down uh, in Utah mm-hmm. uh, a week ago. Yep. And then um, that Aaron Gordon block where Gordon like just went straight up and then almost got hurt, you know, Ooh. going down. Yeah. I mean, that was an incredible incredible block yeah, that was crazy um he's had a couple other plays i think it was um i think it was in the sacramento game there was a play where he i haven't seen a replay yet, but i think he like was defending maybe buddy healed in space a little bit and then ended up like retreating and then um there was a pass uh, yeah he blocked that alley-oop yeah yeah that was incredible i thought i remember when that happened i was like is that the best defensive play that brooke slash maybe any buck has made all season um so to anyone who's a video maker out there um, if you want to make a Brooke Lopez uh, incredible block shot highlight reel, uh, I can't offer you any money, but I will retweet it to the world. Uh, <laughs> Frank is, is offering is an a, RT, everyone. He's offering the RT. <laughs> All right, that's it. It's late. Eric, have a great weekend. Is, uh, Fingers yeah. crossed for Charlotte and uh, in San Antonio. And I guess let's talk on Sunday. Sounds good to me. That is going to be it for us for tonight. Bucks win 117.98 for Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks.